greetings from Las Vegas for CareTalk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. Randomized clinical trials are the gold standard, but they only apply to that contrived subset of patients who participate, leaving an evidence gap when it comes to the real world. Atropos Health is using real-world evidence to close those gaps with patient-specific prognostograms using real-world data. Brigham Hyde. Prognosta what? It sounds like something you don't want in your you-know-what, but Brigham Hyde is CEO of Atropos. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy, and now a top five healthcare podcast. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Welcome, Brigham. Wh- what is the real world like? David's been wondering what it was would be like to visit. It's uh, it's it's digital. It's like the metaverse. It's um, you know uh, evidence based. It's all these great things. Um, I think it's something we're used to in every other part of our life. You buy car insurance, the quotes tailored for you, you know, on down. And I think that's been late to come to healthcare. We know we protect data differently in healthcare for good reason. But uh, we think we're at the beginning of a wave now where you could, you know, crazy idea, look at patients just like you that have had care in the past, see how they did. Lots of care. Lots of care. All the care. Thanks, John. You've had lots of care centrics. (laughs) So, I mean, how well is data being used in healthcare today? There's been a lot that's collected. It used to be on paper. Now it's electronic. Are we using it well for patient care? Well, I think that's a really good question, David. Maybe we go back to your premise and maybe we're going to be explain like, I, I think most people think that a randomized clinical trial, the gold standard, which is always the kind of, it's always a test, comma, gold standard, would include everything. Like, what do you mean it doesn't include everything that is encompassed in what you're trying to bring? And then maybe we go to your more wonky question, David, and we can go geek out on that. But I do, no, but I do think it's really important that people understand what's in and what's out, and yet you know, what's out can really affect patients and, 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 and clinical outcomes. Yeah. Let, let's talk about randomized control trials for a second. And I, I just want to say I'm a card carrying member of, you know, the clinical trial community, a PhD in clinical pharmacology. I've been trained in this stuff. I believe in the importance of that and all the innovation that came out of the 20th century that enabled us to have a great regulatory process that's supported by evidence. But here's a fact. of patients in the U.S. are excluded from clinical trials at a base level. And that 75% receives 80% of the care. So the very clinical trials we're using to shape care exclude the people that it's shaping it for. Are they consciously excluded? Because I can, you know, can David exclude me from a trial? Oh, John, please, yes. I mean, the answer is yes to that, but I don't think that that generalizes. You guys may have your own IRB for that, but yeah. um, no. I mean, look, if you're designing a clinical trial, you want to remove background signals. You want to get a pure signal of the efficacy and safety of a therapy or an approach. And so you tend to exclude people who have other diseases or comorbid, for instance, or of rare or populations that have more problematic backgrounds. And, you know, you're wanting to do that for good reasons. It's not bad intent necessarily. But the fact of the matter is most patients these days in the U.S. are comorbid with something. I mean, you know, diabetics get cancer. Who knew? You know what I mean? And I I think trying to solve for that problem, I mean, let's talk about what that leaves physicians with for a second. So I'm a physician. I have that diabetic in my office. I'm trying to make a decision on a cancer therapy for them. And I look to see if diabetics were included in the trial and they weren't. And I'm kind of guessing that it's going to be okay. I'm extrapolating. Doctors do this every single day for their patients. And there are risks. Like what if 
because they're diabetic. It leads to end-stage renal disease. I'm here to treat cancer, and I need a kidney transplant now because I didn't have evidence for my therapy. But it's just the standard state of play, or has been for the better part of 40 years, despite investments in data and infrastructure. And 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 I think that the 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 reason this is so important and so foundational, and what you're working on is so exciting is that that control trial structure that you're talking about, A-B testing, reducing the signals versus the noise in the data by simplifying the number of participants, patients with a particular condition, is it was very good for the 20th century, but and it is the basis of every new therapy, every new drug, every biologic, um, every, you know, every, 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 every new device, that that's that you have to get through that gate to get through FDA approval. So what's changed that you can actually include stuff that isn't currently sort of the, if you want a purer form of the clinical condition you're trying to solve for, whether it's a, uh, an arthritic knee or a complex cancer condition. Yeah, l- let me blow through 30 years of innovation here and sum it up simply. You may have to slow it down for Dave, but <laughs> you, you, you roll the way you want. We, meaningful use, right? The High Tech Act, we start to force people to record things in electronic form, medical records. That's stage one. Stage two, cloud infrastructure. A lot of data is now stored in that infrastructure, and that means you can analyze it and do things to it. Privacy largely solved, I would argue, not completely out of the woods, but things like de-identification, statistical de-identification, technologies like DataVant and others, it's safer than it once was to do this. Now we're at the next leg of innovation. I think Atropo is right in the center of this, which is, okay, so I have the data, it's in the cloud, I want to analyze it, but I have to do it fast because I have to be able to respond to that physician in the flow of care. It can't take a month and a half to do a study Patient's already gone, right? Big innovation of Atropo, which was developed at Stanford by Dr. Nigam Shah, was, hey, I need this to feel to the doctor like I'm consulting a colleague. I'm just consulting the data and informatics to do it. And the technology innovation, which we licensed, enables that speed. So I can answer a question, which would have taken months for somebody to do in a single day. So what is a prognostogram other than something I threatened John with for bad behavior? (laughs) Prognostogram is the report we deliver back that answers a question. All I need from a physician is a couple of sentences. Again, just like they're emailing a colleague, like, hey, uh, I've got a diabetic who also has melanoma. Can I give them Keytruda? Is there a problem with end-stage renal disease? Tell me the answer. I get that. My team and my technology will respond to that in a day with this report called the prognostogram. The report is a full-blown observational research study, the type that are published every day, the type that the FDA uses to advise their own clinical trial process. It's got all the statistics, analyses, descriptions of the data, and up top, a summary. Turns out you can give Keytruda to these patients. It will be safe. Maybe you should have some renal monitoring. And that answer is delivered back by our service, by clinicians. They call them up and say, hey, here's what it says. Factor this into your decision-making personalize that patient in front of you and you can make an informed care choice. By the way, in that question example, on thousands of patients, the single largest study ever run on Keytruda and diabetics was produced in one day. By And this is more than just a report, right? Some of these are actually become peer-reviewed articles that are published. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, dozens of them. Essentially, somebody just takes the report, writes an introduction, conclusion, submits for peer review, and they go on to be published. But, but, but when, you, when you think about that, if we've got one world where the data is clean. It's brought up in these controlled trials. Get the A/B testing. Where are you getting all the other data that's outside of the stuff that gets 
outside of the data and the studies, you know, phase one through three that, that get 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 things approved by the FDA. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think we're at a point now again. 10 years plus on from meaningful use, we have strong longitudinal records in the form of EMR, in the form of claims, social determinants of health. Even some of the clinical trial repositories can be reused for this. And for us, we like to sit on whatever the relevant data is. If that's the data at your institution, great. If it's a specialty oncology data set like ASCO Cancer Link, one of our partners, great. If you want to know the answer on Mayo data, we can provide that, right? So we're, we're trying to sit on that infrastructure that's developed these great longitudinal records. By the way, there'll be new types of data. There'll be your Fitbit. All this stuff will come in. We're just the speed to answer and the rigor on the statistical analysis. And, and just so folks remember, meaningful use was the massive investment that was at bipartisan support in creating a standard data, at least recording infrastructure. And where where meaningful use was the the, the name for that. But what's interesting is we're also with the you know Office of National Healthcare Infrastructure, blah blah blah, the ONCHIT, ONC. You you probably remember how to yeah, I remember Mickey Trapathy. Yeah, ONCHIT. It's very weird though. It's like you wish you could have a job with the title coordinator. You know, that's the top guy in the whole government, Mickey Trapathy on healthcare or the whole shooting match. But they are moving towards a more even more standardized uh, standard called FIRE, FHIR. And smart fire, which allow, would allow much more interoperability, which would actually, I think, allow you access to even more information than you have today. A hundred percent. And that that's part of the bet we're making. I mean, I've built other businesses in this space. I founded Concert AI, the oncology real world data space. We're a competitor of Flatiron. And it used to have to do was go gather data and enrich it and then pile it up. And then you'd have a business, essentially. With the ONC rule and new technologies surrounding that, Data fluidity, data transactability is here to stay. And it's no longer about like, I got to get the best little data rock I can find. Instead, it's what do I add? Which historically was the only data rock you could find. <laughs> the only, the, whatever, however jagged it was. But yeah, I mean, that, that was the old model. I think the new model is layering on top of this data transactability. So assume everybody can get all the data. What do we need on top of that in terms of applications to drive insight and action, and in our case, evidence? And how do we make it more personalized? And that's our goal, to live in that ecosystem. Are you programming your own unique algorithms to sort of pull more out from more more sources to drive more insights? Or is this just taking the original algorithm that come out of the trials and, and sort of making it more precise and, and substantial. Yeah, let, let, let me try my shot at like the AI yeah, go BuzzFeed for word game here. So, so David what will we take do, you down. don't you worry. <laughs> perfect. And then look, I, AI is fantastic and going to do amazing things, but we're more on the inferential statistics side. We're almost old school. We're like the clinical Most trial Most of folks. the AI actually is more I than... I, I didn't say it, you said it. Okay, so... What we try and do is answer a discrete study question like you would in a clinical trial, and we'll use the appropriate statistical techniques. Some of them might be considered machine learning, but it's different depending on the question. And we publish our methods on this. All this is published. It's all transparent. No black box. If you want to go in and see how we did it, you can see how we do, we do it. And what we do that's closest to AI is we use things called high-dimensional propensity score matching. Why is that important? What is that? That is a way of removing confounding bias. So the reason everybody loves clinical trials is because they're randomized. We can avoid equipoise, which is the situation where a doctor might stick their buddy in one arm of a trial because it's the better arm and their enemy in the other one, right? That's why you do I wouldn't do that, John. I wouldn't do it to you. I wouldn't do it to my worst co-host. 
arm one and arm two of the study here. But um, you know, that's something you, you cannot have randomization really in real-world data, but you can use the best techniques to remove that confounding. And you know, we do that at the cutting edge. And so th- this gets back to you know, a little bit of data versus trials and what's important. First of all, I believe you need both. But the, the real answer to that is, how often do clinical trials replicate each other? So if I get a clinical trial result, let me rerun it. Does it replicate itself? The rate's about 70 to 75% of the time. It's not great, which is remarkable given the structure. It's also not surprising if you know the way trials are designed and deployed and you're in the weeds of that, but it's a little bit sad. But let's just say that's that's the gold standard, right? Well, we published a study that showed... <laughs> Ron did it. We, we published a study there. We took a thousand of those studies and we replicated them in real world data. Guess how often we replicated the results? 70 to 75% of the time. So I think we're at this point where clinical trials, critical role in our regulatory path will continue to go forward. And I'm excited about decentralized trials and the digital enrollment, things like Amy Abernathy's working on Verily, multiple others. All great from my perspective. Let's also use the data we've been collecting for 10 years, use great methods, be transparent, and bring it to the physicians. So David, why do you keep arguing with him about this? So it's an ex- I think it's an, ex- it's an exciting time. So we've got the data, we've got the interoperability, we've got what Mickey Tripathi from ONC calls interactivity. Yeah. So it's not just that you can- Three times quickly. Mickey Tripathi, Mickey Tripathi, Mickey Tripathi, Mickey Tripathi. I give you a bonus, John. Okay, remember that. And so now the, you know, the data, the technology, the methods are ready. It's certainly something I would want as a patient, but, you know, is the healthcare system ready for it? Is the payment system ready for it? And what does that mean to you as a business? And how do you get paid? Oh, John, they just file a claim, you know, just like you do. You just like you fill the script and you file it and well, boom. Well, well, hold on. We are actually qualified for reimbursement. There are new CPT codes put out by CMS about four years ago. CPT. I need a code for that. <laughs> can I get reimbursed for that? <laughs> Maybe. And both the ordering physician and us can get reimbursed. It's under the consult codes they created about spending time reviewing patient information. That's what we're doing. And it's a great model, particularly for your community doc, your GP. Like this is a way to, if you're going to spend time reviewing this stuff, make a couple extra bucks. It, by the way, the ROI on all this is excellent. It leads to better outcomes across the board. So- and, and so how, how, do, how does, you know, uh, I, I, let's say you're a parent with a kid with a chronic condition with a couple of comorbidities, and, and I want to make sure we're taken care of as that my kid gets through adolescence and becomes a young adult, is taking advantage of not just what's in the trial, because often that's not aimed at the kid, it's aimed at the particular group they had at that time, and kids are going through different periods of, you know, of, of, of physical and biological changes. How, how do I get access to better information? Can I ask for someone to use your your service? Yeah, I mean, so pediatrics is a great example, right? Uh, you know, back to clinical trials. Guess we don't do a lot of pediatric trials or a lot of geriatric trials, David. Um, <laughs> but uh, think, think, think about that old guy. Listen, I'll tell you what, he's gotten the theme of the show. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was just chiming but in. Let me just be, be clear. The host is supposed to pick on the host. The guest, if the guest picks Extra on the- Extra points. If the guest picks on the host- We're going to promote it twice as much. Yeah. But old guys, you know, I, that was some sort of- a, You could probably include real world data that I could- An old guy could say Mickey Tripathi's name at least four times fast, perhaps more. That's right. But well, you, but, 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 yeah. but 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 getting back to the point, David. He was trying to answer the question, or was he trying to insult me? I, I got lost both. in my, in my you, elder you, you fog. Can, you can do both. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah. So where, where do you get to it? AtropoHealth.com. You can request a prognosticum through there. Right now, we route you back to your physician. We want them involved. But I think there is a direct-to-patient story at some point. I think it fits in this virtual care discussion we're all having this week. And, you know, we want that throughout that child's life. There should be multiple questions that need to be answered along the way, especially when there's a key treatment decision or a side effect risk. And again, our job is to bring that to you transparently, great methods, great data and speed. And then it's for you and your physician to discuss and figure out how to interpolate for your, your child. So last question, perhaps the most remarkable thing about the company is that a Stanford company somehow seemed to get a UCSF digital award. How did that happen? Yeah, we thought we had no shot, but uh, thank you to the awards committee. We did win last night. Super exciting week for us as a company. Also announced our partnership with Mayo Clinic. We're super awesome. excited about That's it. That's awesome. I mean, UCSF does give a lot of awards away, though. It's it's the gold standard of award, I would say, because it's it's very rigorous in judging and took a lot of time and effort, but we're super proud of it. It's great as a young company to get recognized. And congratulations on the partnership with Mayo. That's a big that's a big move as well. Yeah, incredibly exciting. It also we get to work closely with John Halamka, Manish Goyal on the Mayo Care platforms, this whole digital story, right? Um, and being able to go with that platform as it brings the Mayo brand of care out and, and be the pointy tip of the spear, you know, be the, the thing that can respond day one and, you know, prevent, provide these consults to people. I think super exciting. You definitely don't want to be the blunt end of the spear. No. <laughs> Which end of the spear do you want to be, John? In any case, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk. We're here in Las Vegas, a third annual HLTH conference interview series. We've been speaking today with Brigham Hyde about prognostograms, among other things. He is the CEO of Atropo Health. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Whether you liked what you heard or you didn't, we'd like you to subscribe on your favorite service. Thanks for joining us today, Brigham. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really fun.